Brexit. Um, and, you know, the only certain thing that remains about that is a great deal of uncertainty. But one thing that we know will change, regardless of which side of this debate you sit on, is that assuming we leave the European Union, if we currently hold a British passport, the colour will change um, from burgundy to blue and gold, I believe, and we will clearly be defined as British citizens holding a United Kingdom passport no longer with any reference to the EU. In this world, we're defined um, <clears throat> by our citizenship, at least in part. And yet, as Christians, our true citizenship is that we are citizens of, of heaven. And this citizenship overrides any earthly one we may have. There are many nationalities in HBC, and the church is, of course, worldwide. But our values, our loyalty, are to be defined by God's values and our knowledge that we are his children, as we've been thinking about already this morning, our brothers and sisters together, citizens together in the kingdom of God. This seven-week series entitled Living Sacrifices is based on the first two verses of Romans 12 and explores what it means to be citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of God. Paul was writing to the church at Rome, probably from Corinth, and was on his third missionary journey, ready to travel back to Jerusalem. He was writing to a predominantly Gentile congregation, but with a significant number of Jewish believers, people from different backgrounds and cultures. Just as today, we come from a myriad of different backgrounds, cultures and Christian denominations. And this letter has as much relevance to our situation as it did to those Christians to whom it was first addressed. And in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and in some verses in, by God's mercies, to offer you your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Future weeks will be concerned with what it means to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. How is it possible for us to be holy and pleasing to God? What is true and proper worship? How can we remain distinctive and not conform to the pattern of this world? Be transformed by the renewing of our mind and test and approve what God's will is. These are big topics. They can sound pretty daunting and I guess the Roman church reading this letter would have felt the same. Our focus this morning, however, is not on these specific areas of the outworking of our faith, but on the opening words of verse 1. This point of chapter 12 of Romans is, pivotal, is a pivotal one in this letter. Therefore, which always means we need to look back at what was before, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies to be holy and pleasing to God, and so on. You see, we may be daunted to even begin to think of offering our bodies as living sacrifices, or feeling that I can have any hope of being holy and pleasing to God. But Paul has given us the answer to that hope in the earlier part of this letter. So he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to do these things in view of God's mercy. See, it's not down to us to make these things happen. It's down to something much deeper. Paul is saying when we understand God's mercy, which is not punishing us as our sins deserve, or more literally, his mercies, and the immensity of them, the greatness of them, then these things, being living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, these things flow from that understanding and receiving of God's mercies. We might be reminded of Jesus' own words, saying we shouldn't worry about what we eat or what we wear or where we sleep. Jesus said, didn't he, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And in the first part of this letter, for us the first 11 chapters, Paul has been explaining this to the church at Rome. He's been pressing home their need and our need to be grounded in the gospel, being people of the kingdom, and that is believing and trusting in the good news of Jesus, the mercy of God. I was reminded of the importance of this grounding of our faith recently. When I read of the Hillsong worship leader, some of you will have seen this, Marty Sampson, who had announced he's losing his faith. And now he says he's lost his faith. Marty Sampson has written or co-written hundreds of songs and been a professing Christian for a good number of years. In one of his songs, he wrote these lyrics, which we sing sometimes here at HBC, sung in churches all over the world, I would imagine. My Saviour, he says, I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet. My Saviour on that cursed tree. Yet, in an Instagram post, Samson said, how many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send four billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. I felt sad when I saw this online. <laughs> and I wondered how someone who had written as he has and has, to, has professed such a strong faith could have that faith undermined by such questions. Of course, we can all have questions and doubts from time to time. After all, faith and doubt two sides of the same coin. Faith means we trust God based on what we know of him. In the words of Ralph Waldo Emerson, all I have seen 
teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. None of these questions are new and have been grappled with and will continue to be grappled with down the decades for as long as mankind remains on the earth. These, these will be some of the questions asked. We could add to them, couldn't we? We saw a bit on that um, uh, video about the Bible course um, this morning. You know, why do people suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? And so on. Those who attend the Alpha course may well ask similar ones. I don't doubt that Paul's readers in Rome had similar questions But Paul doesn't address these, and neither really did Jesus. There are many of these why questions that are left unanswered. But what Paul does address is what we need to know, what we need to believe, and what we need to trust in. I think he was uniquely placed to understand these things because of his life and background. If any man understood the mercy of God and his transforming power, it was, has to be Paul. In the book of Acts chapter 7, we read of Paul's conversion at the point known as Saul standing, sorry, at the, in the book of Acts chapter 7, we read of Paul at the point known as Saul standing and watching the stoning of Stephen, who had laid out the case for Jesus before the Sanhedrin. Actually, he didn't just watch. He was directly involved in that act of violent murder and of one, of one who dared profess Jesus as Messiah. We read that after Stephen had seen heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of Jesus, that Stephen was dragged into the city and the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then in 7 verse 59, Stephen prayed to God for his own spirit and for the forgiveness of those stoning him. And then he died. And Saul was there giving his approval. A self-professed Pharisee of Pharisees determined to expunge the followers of the way as followers of Jesus were known. He travelled toward Damascus to find any of these followers and take them prisoner. But on that road he was struck down and suddenly we read a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but they didn't see anyone. And then Saul gets up from the ground and he opened his eyes and he could see nothing. And for three days he was blind and he didn't drink or eat anything. And then we read that this man is chosen by God, my instrument, to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. When he was struck down on the road and heard Jesus' voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I can only imagine what he felt. I think he must have been terrified. He must have wondered if his time was up. 
If this Jesus was indeed the Lord, then Saul must have felt that he deserved to be punished. But instead, he receives mercy and he receives grace from God. That is his undeserved favour. In that moment and during the three days that followed, Saul is transformed. He receives the Holy Spirit. He's baptised and immediately starts preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So it's no wonder that Paul writes to the Romans, get this fundamental truth into your hearts that God is merciful because when you truly understand and accept your own brokenness and the reality that there is nothing you can do to make yourself right with God through the law or anything else, no works you can do, nothing at all, then that leads to us humbling ourselves before God and asking him to be Lord of our lives. It's that humility which opens us us to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Last week, David was speaking about Joseph and what we could learn through the story of his life. From arrogant youth to a mature and forgiving leader, he said that at some point, we can look back as Christians and recognise that values that we hold have changed and some things which we might once have done we no longer do, not because we've necessarily worked at them but because the Holy Spirit has changed us. At some moment, Joseph was changed. Maybe when he was thrown into the cistern, sold into slavery, he cried out to God. We're not told that that happened. But when he becomes a slave in Potiphar's house, he's clearly changed from the arrogant youth who upset his brothers so much. He's been humbled and changed. And we're there told that God was with him and blessed both Joseph and Potiphar's house. And throughout the rest of the story of Joseph, we're told time and time again that God was with Joseph and blessed Joseph and blessed those around him. Through receiving God's mercy, he shows mercy in forgiving his brothers. Saul was later, as it's known as Paul, changes because of his encounter with God and is overwhelmed by the mercy he is shown. From persecutor of Christians to the greatest evangelist for Christ. I think we sometimes read these stories and think that they're somehow extraordinary And in one sense they are. Over the last few weeks we've been looking at the heroes of the Bible and we find in them God's mercy and that humility. We can think of the story of Abraham and Isaac where Abraham humbled himself and was prepared to sacrifice Isaac. I still can't get my head around how that could be. We've seen little Joseph this morning and the idea that you could take your son for sacrifice, to, to, to be sacrificed. But God in his mercy was going to provide him with a ram. And he did that. Abraham trusted God and God provided the ram. We can think of the story of Daniel who out of his love for God trusted him and would not waver in his faith. And God showed his mercy in the lion's den, and of Moses who felt he was completely unworthy and unable to lead God's people, but as he humbled himself, God was with Moses. You see, the story of Saul and the story of Joseph are our story. If we follow Christ, 
we must all come to a point. It may not be a defined moment, but we must all come to a point where we acknowledge our weaknesses, our brokenness, which is our sin, before a perfect and almighty God, where he recognises his love for us, his forgiveness for us, his grace, which is the undeserved favour of God, and yes, his mercies and his mercy. One of Mark Sampson's why questions that have wobbled his faith was why does the Bible have so many contradictions? Well, we can find some passages which seem to contradict one another and we can debate those, but when you take the whole story of the Bible, it is one continuous story. If we go to the Bible course this evening, no doubt we'll begin to understand that if we don't already. It's one continuous story from creation to revelation, the story of a God who loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Recognising God's mercy is personal and I need to remember that time. You need to remember that time when I, when you acknowledged your need of God and his love for you. So when doubt comes, you can hold on to what you know to be true. When we understand how much God loves us and how much we need him, when we repent and recognise God, he changes us just as Joseph and Paul were changed. Joseph, Jesus told of the prodigal son, of the son who turns his back on his father and who takes his inheritance which is taken by the grace of that same father, squanders it all and only then regrets what he's done and what he's become. Recognising that the only person who might do something for him is his father, he repents and turns back, hoping his father might at least allow him to become a hired hand. But the father not only welcomes him back, but rushes to greet him and throws a party. See, God's forgiveness is total. His mercy is limitless. It does not depend on us or what we do. If you've fallen away from God, if you've never turned to him, you can simply do that now. He'll come to you because he loves you and has only good things for you. Paul writes to the Roman church where some Gentiles wonder If they're forgiven like this, they need to bother with how they live if God forgives them anyway. And where Jews believe they and the Gentiles need to follow the law in order to satisfy God, both sides seem to think they have the answer to what it means to please God. Paul wants them to understand that neither position is true. Over those 11 chapters that precede these verses in chapter 12, Paul has built an argument to show that mankind has always known of God. He writes in Romans chapter 1, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. All mankind came under God's judgment because they failed to recognise and worship God but followed their own desires and created their own gods. And we read further in Romans, all who sin apart from the law 
will also perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. When Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law of themselves, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. God in his mercy has given us all, because God wants all mankind to come to a knowledge of him, an opportunity to be reconciled to him. That is our relationship with him made right. That that righteousness, a part of God's mercies to us, comes through faith. And Romans 3:20 from 20 onwards in the message reads like this. Now, do you see it? No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. For the more we know of God's laws, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying them. His laws only serve to make us see that we are sinners. But now God has shown us a different way to heaven, not by being good enough and trying to keep his laws, but but by a new way. Though not new, really, for the scriptures told about it long ago. Now God says he will accept and acquit us, declare us not guilty, If we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins and we all can be saved in the same way by coming to Christ no matter who we are or what we have been like. Yes, all have sinned, all fail, all fall short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. And it goes on, but it isn't, isn't this unfair for God to let criminals go free and say that they are innocent? No, for he does it on the basis of their trust in Jesus who took away their sins. And God's mercies don't end there because we have been justified through faith. We have peace and joy with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have hope Paul says, and a hope that does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And that love is demonstrated through this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, reconciled to God and saved to life. Set free from sin, God in his mercy pours out his spirit on us so that we are no longer controlled by the sinful nature but by the spirit. All this through faith in Jesus. I wonder, do you know and trust in God's mercy this morning? Or are you still feeling that you are not good enough? The Bible couldn't be clearer. Jesus couldn't be clearer. The Apostle Paul could not be clearer. Our our position with God, our place with him is not based on anything that we can do, but only by trusting in Jesus. We sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I will not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Do you believe that? When we do, when we trust in his mercy, 
we can find hope in the depths of despair. Simon Thomas is a TV presenter and a Christian. His wife died at the age of 40, three days after being diagnosed with leukaemia. And Simon was left with an eight-year-old son. He prayed for his wife to be healed, but she died. Around the same time, a friend had cancer and people prayed and the friend was healed. People posted messages on Twitter. He says, God is good. God is healer. All of these kinds of things. But Simon's prayers for his wife were not answered. He wasn't so amazing for us, he thought. And he felt angry and bitter and felt he had 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 enough of this faith lark. But it seems Simon chose to hang on to what he knew of God and he says one of the ways he did that was to stop asking the why questions. And he said that he just had to accept that even with faith, life can still be very unfair. Then, on the day of his wife's funeral, he was overcome with emotion and collapsed to the ground and some friends prayed for him, God, hold this man right now, hold this family as we go through this next few minutes, that your peace would descend on this place. He goes on, they went into the crematorium and he says that as they sung a worship song and the words, you bring light in the darkness and you bring hope were sung, this incredible, tangible peace (coughs) fell on that room. In that most hopeless of places, this incredible peace descended, he says, and that even had an impact on people who wouldn't say they have a faith at all. That, he said, is the peace that passes all understanding. Simon and Matt had doubts. We can all have them. Matt, the songwriter and worship leader, lost his faith because he focused on the why questions, to which there are no absolute answers and our understanding is limited. He lost sight of or possibly had never experienced what it means to experience God's unconditional love and forgiveness. In contrast, Simon, the TV presenter, doubted, but chose to cling on, trusting in what he knew of God, implicitly God's love, grace and mercy for him, and he experienced a peace which passes all understanding. We need to do the same. And if you're in the same place as Matt, if you've lost your faith, or maybe you have no faith, or your faith is wobbling a bit, you know God is waiting and ready. And God never asks. He never asks why you... He never asked me why I left. He never asked why I turned away. He never asks what you've done. He only welcomes you home. 
and accepts you as you are. No God, no peace. Jesus loves us.